Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening. David, how you doing? I, I, I've never commented on it before, but I like that in your intro we're the Battleship Pretension. Like the Batman. Oh, yeah. Uh, the words have lost pretty much all meaning to me, so it doesn't even occur to me <laughs> what I am saying. But I guess that's true, yes. There, yeah. we are, we're not a Battleship Pretension. We are the Battleship Pretension. There's no question. Um, nobody else had the fucking gall to name their show that. <laughs> That's right. We're uh, you know, we've got uh, we've got the courage, we've got the integrity. We will call ourselves that. Um, sorry, everybody, for uh, you know the occasional cough that I'm going to be doing because I am under the weather. I apologize uh, that it's going to sound a little gross. Uh, but uh, I did want to say this: a special welcome to all of our. Uh, New listeners who may have uh, heard about us on Never Not Funny or 40-Year-Old Boy or saw us on iTunes or the IMDb. Uh, we're fucking out there we're, in the internet ether. We're everywhere. You can't tur- you can't swing a dead cat without hitting us. Speaking, we're going to be on... Um, we had uh, we had uh, a few months ago now, we had Pilar Alessandra on our show right. on the On the Page podcast. We're going to be on that podcast uh, That's right. pr- uh, a day or two after you're hearing this probably. Yeah, so go so to uh, page. iTunes, go to on, go to on the page, and then you yourself, you're going to be on there for the next few weeks. Sure. So that's true. Uh, in the in the form of producer. Okay. okay. Yeah. What? I don't. I, I already have my own podcast. I don't need to toot my own horn as well. Uh, I didn't say whether or not you were good on it. I simply said that you're there, so people who, you know, because I'm I'm sure that as See, far what the as, listener doesn't know, yeah, is I'm out there doing shit all the time. That's right. I don't tell you about all the shit I'm doing. Maybe you're not telling me the shit you're doing. What, what are no, you, you out there doing? doing? You know oh, what I'm yeah, doing. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true, that's true. But, like, yeah, I guess I, I feel like I only want to plug podcast-related podca- podcast stuff uh, and not David-related stuff. But you are on, you are going to be on somebody else's podcast. But as myself, not as a that's representative true. of Battleship Pretension. Well, maybe you should be a representative. <laughs> ba- I'm a representative of Battleship Pretension everywhere I go. Which, By the uh, way, I, and I, fu- I know fully well that I just said I don't like to talk about myself, and two weeks ago I spent 15 minutes talking about my broken heart. Yeah. Uh, which, by the way, well, I want to take this opportunity to thank. We've, I've gotten some really, really nice emails from the listeners. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's, uh, and it, yeah, it meant a lot to hear from, from people like Ian and Genevieve and people who have written to us a lot, you know, right. uh, feel like, you know, I, I, I don't know them, but... Yeah. Uh, uh, it, it felt nice, you know, that that I've established a sort of weird relationship with these people, you know. Yeah. And if you wrote me to say nice things and I didn't just say your name, it's because you don't write often enough. I can't remember everybody's name. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. We're like an old woman in that way. Just, you know, you don't write often enough. You don't call. Come why on now. Why can't you be more like Ian and Genevieve? <laughs> Ah, we both just took a drink of water at the same time. Sorry, everybody, for that uh, awkward silence. Um, well, it gave them a chance to let my bon mots <laughs> sink in. <laughs> Don't make me laugh too much, David, because okay. then I'll just start coughing. But uh, so, what else is what else is going on these days, uh, David? What well, a, there's something. Last week, uh, I in the in the like pre-show portion, I said there was something else I wanted to get to, right? And I couldn't remember what it was, and I remembered uh, later um, I wanted to mourn the passing of Don LaFontaine. Yeah. Now it's a good thing you did forget last week because our uh, 
beginning of the show turned into half of the show. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm, I think it's fine that we're mentioning it this week. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting because I think after a certain point, people kind of made fun of that voice. I mean, everybody knows the whole, you know, in a world, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. But he was, you know, whenever, like, if you ever saw, like, interview footage with him, he was just kind of, he just seemed like a nice guy, just kind of pleasantly surprised at where he is in life and just, yeah. and uh, and he just has that voice in life, which is just weird. It's always weird when you hear that voice conversationally. It's like when I met Maurice LaMarche and I just hear that voice talking to me. And I'm like, that, no, shouldn't you be, like, preaching the doom of the world or something like that? <laughs> but uh, it's, it's amazing. <clears throat> That and it speaks a lot to his his talent, and it was a great talent. Very much he so. Did. Yeah. For those who don't know, yeah, you said just now you implied yeah. in the world that he was he's the guy who did like almost every trailer. Yeah, uh, big trailer. Um, I did the voices. Um, for a guy like that to be a name that I knew, like I, it's not like yeah. someone said, "Hey, this guy died," and I looked him up, and his name was. If you'd said, if you'd said to me, you know, a year ago, if you'd mentioned Don LaFontaine, I knew who, exactly who you were talking about. Right. And that's a real testament to his talent because it's kind of like Michael Phelps, the, yeah. the swimmer. Uh, most, uh, almost everyone in the country doesn't follow swimmers, doesn't yeah. know their names. But when it's, it's not normal, it's not like a, a famous basketball player, you know, it's like, well, being a pro basketball player already makes you just a little bit famous because basketball players in the public eye. Right. But swimmers and fucking voiceover guys, you know, yeah. trailer voiceover guys uh, <coughs> are, are not. For So for someone like Don LaFontaine to become a recognizable name, uh, doing something that's so out of the public eye, right. is a testament to just how talented and well-respected he was. Yeah, and it's, uh, I think I think it was Entertainment Weekly or so, some uh, publication that I read uh, was talking about him, and, and uh, they, they, made note that in modern trailers you didn't hear him very much i mean there's not a lot of narration in trailers anymore have you noticed that like it mostly just seems it's mostly uh it just seems like just kind of shots you yeah. know and you know actual character dialogue but uh i don't know so i guess the 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 trend had passed him by and so it was okay for them for him to be like okay i'm out of here I had my moment. I'm not going to try and, uh, you know, try and get work desperately. But, uh, yeah, I, uh, damn, I don't recall. There was another article I read where there was an interview with, like, the top five, like, you know, advertising voiceover guys. Yeah. And he, of course, was the one that all all the other ones were like, oh, yeah, that guy, man, that guy's got it made. <laughs> he is, he's just the first, he's the first voice you think of, even if you don't know his name, like, He's the voice that everybody would, you know, would go to, like, any time they're going to do an impression of, like, the trailer voiceover guy, they would try to evoke his voice, as opposed to, like, there was a guy who would uh, primarily do comedies. And uh, uh-huh. so it was, it, it's, it's interesting. I, I'm always fascinated with, um, excuse me, with the, just an entire world, just like, all these voiceover guys know each other, they all have, they kind of have, like, a like a pecking order it's like okay he's at the top everyone knows and looks up to him but he's gone now so who's going to take his place if there is still a place to take but uh i don't know there's like a there's like a half hour documentary in there somewhere maybe not feature length but uh <laughs> you know so what else is going on what's going on in your life um not much just working and uh 
and Dave, and I've mentioned this before, but Jen and I are uh, slowly but surely making our way through the West Wing, which uh, of your house. <laughs> yeah, they're they're remodeling exactly and uh you know with each passing day they add another uh section onto it and we just make our way through it <laughs> but uh no we've uh i don't know if i've ever discussed at length my uh my problems with uh aaron sorkin as a writer a lot of people love him you yourself included um but the and so i i'm not a big fan of sports night i did not like studio 60 uh but i am i am enjoying the west wing with of course it He'll occasionally do little writerly flourishes that kind of bother me, but um, but West Wing is really it's really a very solid show. I went in with a lot of preconceptions, you know, um, and uh, for the most part they've kind of gone away because, as you know, I'm you know somewhat uh, moderate conservative uh, in my politics, and I expected like anybody who not certainly the any conservative or republicans on the show but even like people who might have a who aren't just completely and totally left wing uh i just assumed that they would be portrayed as morons or bigots or something like that and don't get me wrong some of them are but there are some very sympathetic uh republican characters on the show and there's a lot of uh unsympathetic democrats on the show and so I was very pleasantly surprised uh, in that way. And uh, so I'm starting to come around, David. I'm, you know, I've come around to, to your way of thinking, though you never actually finished the series. No, I only watched the Sorkin seasons. And to me, like, the whole reason I got into this was because I wanted to watch the last two seasons so that I could, you know, because there's that whole, we mentioned this on the Movies About America episode, just the last two seasons are very, is about who's going to be the next president. And it comes down to Jimmy Smith's or Alan Alda. Um, not them, of course, but the characters that they're playing. Although I'd vote for Alan Alda. Um, hmm. Not sure? I'd probably vote for Alan Alda. Yeah. I'm surprised that you would, though, being more conservative. Well, yeah, but uh, he gives a good speech. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, but I decided, you know what? No, I'm not going to just skip to the last two seasons. I'm going to watch everything leading up to it, and I'm I'm glad I did. It's really, uh, I I would say I'm I'm addicted to the show, uh, but at the same time I'm looking forward to when I'm done with it, and then I can just move on to the next one, which is probably going to wind up being Mad Men. So, hmm, what? Uh, I'm not I'm not watching anything these days. I still you just work. I mean, you you found an apartment, which is I exciting. haven't moved in yet because I work like 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 gangbusters. No, <laughs> that's not what that means. I work like yeah, crazy. That's... <laughs> um, all the time, I'm not a slacker, That's and uh, <laughs> so I haven't had time to actually move into my place, which I paid for almost a week ago now. Uh, I'm paying rent on a place right now that I uh, have not moved a single thing into. Well, that's all right. I'll help you out next weekend. Yeah, next weekend. Um, but it, you're right next to the uh, you're right next to the Paramount lot. Yeah, in the evenings when the sun sets, I will be literally <laughs> in the shadow of Paramount Studios. <laughs> um. And I've been, and I've seen I've seen uh, the place and it's it's really it's really a cool place because it it really does feel I don't know the history of your new apartment but it seems like old time Hollywood like it yeah. made in like the 30s maybe even the 20s I mean it just it has this really cool look to it and you really feel like you're you know about to walk into like William Holden's apartment from yeah. uh, Sunset Boulevard I think, yeah probably 20s or 30s part of the uh, definitely part of the spanish colonial revival yeah <laughs> yeah my uh, uh my north hollywood apartment uh, i think that was maybe made like uh, five years ago no that place is like 
and there's like a, a a modernist. I would bet I would bet that place is built in like the in the sixties, sixties hmm. or seventies, perhaps. But of course, you know the listeners have not seen either of our places. But w- you know we'll rectify that. We'll I'm just sure have a party. Like hearing can- me talk is to pretend that I know anything at all about architecture. <laughs> I read. Uh, you shouldn't doc- have called. You could. You shouldn't have called yourself on it because they haven't seen these places. And you and you could have sounded yeah. very knowledgeable. I read from Bauhaus to our house. The Tom, <coughs> oh Christ, Sorry. the Tom Wolf book Sorry. about about um about architecture, which is all of about eighty pages long. That's what I know about about architecture. You got it worked out. It's fine. But, um, I do know the city. Actually, let me tell you uh, a story real quick. Okay. Um, I take the bus a lot. Uh-huh. I have a car. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's there's a stigma in Los Angeles about taking uh, the bus, but you know what? It's cheaper. It's fuck. It's a it's a fuck of a lot cheaper, which is not something <laughs> that uh, is a sentence. But um, I take the bus a lot, and I noticed. I told you this yesterday, and it uh, made you laugh. So I thought I'd tell, talk about it on the podcast. All right. Here's okay. Say I'm say I'm coming back into Hollywood from Pasadena. <laughs> I'm on the 181. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we're getting back into Hollywood. We're on Vermont. The yep. the automated voice will say now approaching Vermont and Prospect. Okay. Okay. Then you turn the corner onto Hollywood, and <laughs> and the voice says now approaching Hollywood and New Hampshire. <laughs> and then it does it all the way down the street. Hollywood <laughs> and Alexandria. <laughs> Hollywood. Yeah. As if yeah. As if it's like yeah. If you're on that bus, chances are uh, the thrill of being in Hollywood or on Hollywood <laughs> Boulevard. Yeah. That probably faded away a while ago. It's just yeah. like, you're not fooling me, bus. Uh, it's, this is not as exciting yeah. as you're making it you're out to be. You're not taking me to see the stars' houses. <laughs> um, yeah, that's... Uh, yeah, even public transit is trying to convince you that, no, that, man, this place is awesome. No, it's really just just really another neighborhood in the city. But I feel like I feel like there's a segue in here somewhere, so let's get into it, shall we? All right. Uh, we, we've been talking about the city of Los Angeles. That's right. Um Last night, uh, Saturday night, uh, you and I, um, and some other people, that's right, uh, including friend of the show Josh Fadum, that's right, uh, went to um, the Arrow Theater in Santa Monica to yep. see uh, Los Angeles plays itself, which is a movie that you have been telling me about for years and years. It does not play around; it's not on DVD. Yeah, it's, it is, I mean, I think a lot of film fans have heard of it, but if you haven't, um, uh, I'll tell you what it is. It's uh, this guy, Tom Anderson. Um, uh, he's a professor at UCLA, or he was. Um, he made a documentary. It's like three hours long about the way that Los Angeles has been portrayed in films. Mm-hmm. He, st- he, d- he does it does a, a, in three sections. City as background, yeah. city as character, and city as subject. Right. Um, and the thing is, he uses all these uh, all these clips from you know i can't even i can't imagine it's got to be a hundred different movies i read i read a review uh last night that said uh there were uh, clips from 191 movies wow which Um, is more than i thought and so uh he doesn't have all the rights to those i think there's some loophole where it can be shown in like a festival type of setting yeah and and if he doesn't make any money off of it oh okay so and so revival houses Mm-hmm. You know, like the Arrow, it plays at the Egyptian. I saw it with the Gene Siskel in in Chicago right. originally. Um, can show this, but it'll never come out on DVD because it would be prohibitively expensive for such yeah. a niche film. You know, to pay, pay for all these rights. Right. So, um, luckily, we live in a city where uh, it plays every like six to twelve months uh, yeah. somewhere, and we got to see it. Uh, and I loved it. Uh, I had seen it before. Did you? You loved it? Um. Yeah, I would because it really. I mean, it's. 
it's like a it's like a movie of film criticism. I mean, it really breaks things down. Uh-huh. Uh, I'd say, you know, uh, other people have said this. I think the filmmaker himself says this, that uh, the second half is better than the first. The first one gets almost, gets so specific. Like, it'll talk about specific uh, buildings in, L- in uh, Los Angeles. No, I find that so fascinating. It is you know? it is interesting, but it's just like, you know, Especially after a while. Especially, it's like, I've been to the Bradbury building. And that's I've been true. to, like, the Innis house. I know... <laughs> Uh, it's it's cool to see these things in movies. It is, but it really it, to me it, it dragged on a little bit. Like maybe they could have picked one less house, but that's. <laughs> but you know, at the same time, there is that familiarity. It's like, oh hey, there's that building in Blade Runner. There's that building in Blade Runner. You yeah, know, Blade um, Runner uses a lot of them. Yeah, and we, we, uh, I would I would definitely recommend the movie if you are in like, you know, Chicago or New York or or Los Angeles, and you see that it's playing, go see it. However, do not mistake it with L.A. Plays Itself. Uh-huh. It's called Los Angeles Plays Itself. L.A. Plays Itself is a, kind of an artistic gay porn film. so uh, Which might be good. I haven't seen it. It might be good. But what I'm saying is if you're expecting one right. and you wind up with the other, either way, you know, you might, uh, you're know, you going to be a little, I'd say, unpleasantly surprised. Um, but, so uh, we were inspired by this film yeah. to do uh, an episode on... I don't. I don't know how to. I always try to think of some like pithy way to to yeah. like to to talk about to 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 name our subject, and I can never get one. So movies in which the city is a character, right? Or movies about cities. Yeah. Uh, movies about cities is at least short. Yeah, I think I'll probably uh, on the website. I think I'll probably just title it uh, "Location, Location, Location" or something. Yeah. You know? See, that's that's pithy. Yeah, but it's pithy for a title, not pithy for a description. You know. Yeah. But. Uh, but yeah, it's it's inter- it's an interesting uh, thing because I believe last week you were talking about um, one of your, your frustrations with Neil Butte's uh, Your Friends and Neighbors is that it seemingly takes place in any city, in you know, and uh, and you know there are a lot of cities, you know, in the U.S. and 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 uh, you know I'd say like you know Paris and London and and uh, perhaps Moscow and stuff. There are and and uh, uh, Tokyo, I'd say, like there's cities that have a definite personality, and and I a, I would contend that every city has its own personality, right? right. But you like get as to know far it well as, enough, you know, I mean, yeah. to to someone who's never been to the Midwest, Omaha and St. Louis are going to be about the same, right? You know, right. But when you get to know them, they're very different places. I will go so far as to say that Springfield, Missouri, does not have a personality. Um, you don't think so? I don't think so. You don't think like I, you don't think it's interesting that John Q. Hammond's name is on everything. Like there's like, this d- character. I, this, I like, will say this: there is a. <laughs> this is does. so specific. <laughs> <coughs> well, you know, we have some listeners in Springfield, Missouri. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, in Springfield, Missouri, I will say this: it's a, it's one of the in in Missouri. It has it's one of the larger cities, and when you actually find out what the population is, you're like, wow, that's so big. I'm surprised I haven't heard of it. But you have, just not Springfield, Missouri. Um, but, uh, yeah, and there's this guy, this billionaire, I think, uh, named John Q. Hammonds. And he's, there's Hammonds Tower, and there, you know, he, just there's a lot of buildings in that city with his name on it. And it feels almost sinister. Yeah. Like, just, <laughs> you know, it kind of has, you kind of get the feeling like, oh, a hundred years ago, why do I have a feeling he's kind of the Al Swearingen of this place? <laughs> where it just, you know, uh, he's like it's like a it's like a Dashiell Hammett's Red Harvest, where there's just one guy who kind of runs everything, and uh, and you don't cross him. Yeah. Um, but uh, 
See, so there, there, that, that, that's part of Springfield's character. I suppose, but I don't know if that's actually it. That's just my theory. But the about fact it. that I, I, I just, <coughs> I, I like to defend against anyone who says that that uh, every city is just like any any city is without character. I've listened to a few different places, and yeah. I, uh, I identify in different ways with each place. Yeah. So, uh, this. So let's talk about some actual movies, huh? Yeah. Sure. Um, I guess uh, I wish to just start with Los Angeles because of the the film we saw, you know. Right. And um, but let's be careful because we did just see a movie where 191 movies were referenced. Let's be careful not to get too into uh, Los Angeles. Yeah, and we, we easily could because, of course, so many movies are shot here. Right. You know, it it tends to happen. But we mentioned yeah. Blade Runner. Um, Blade Runner is just a great. Uh, even though it takes place in uh, a fictional future, yeah, um, it it utilizes the sort of landmarks yeah. of Los Angeles uh, so well, you know, and so distinctly and so uniquely, mm-hmm. you know, uh, like the idea of using Union Station as a police station, right? You know, it, Union Station's been in a bunch of movies, and it usually is playing Union Station or right. some sort of train station, but to completely reappropriate it as a train station, uh, that's. Well, and and I mean, it, you know, the implication is that uh, it's like, well, it's not going to be needed as a train station anymore, probably, you know, because uh, they got flying cars and stuff. Um, and so, why not use it as a police station? Then, and, and then, of course, uh, which somehow seems more depressing that it's not needed for its original purpose anymore, which is to get people in the city and out of the city. Now it's just, well, we got to deal with criminals, and we're going to need this big place, you know. Uh, but much in the same way, the uh, it's the Bradbury Building, right? That uh, that yeah, uh, uh, is used not as his apartment, but not his apartment. Um, what's his name's apartment? Ah, that's gonna bother me. William Sanderson. William Sanderson's apartment. Yeah, is um, in the Bradbury Building. But uh, you know, and of course, and that that building has this great history, and it's really gorgeous. And you know, architecturally, you got, have, you been, have you gone down there to look at? No, it? You I have If you're in Los Angeles, go down there. I, I can't remember. It's uh, I think it's Third and Broadway or something like that. It's downtown, and okay. it's oh, I mean, you. I mean, there are still offices and stuff in it, but the the main lobby and, and and main area is open. You can go in and look around. It's great, and it's it's gorgeous. But I but of course in Blade Runner, this this wonderful building with all this history is pretty much houses uh, a weird inventor and all of his crazy inventions, and that's it. You know, yeah, it's and a bunch run of down. It's all run down. Yeah, yeah, and it's gross, and it's like, oh, it re- like, it's a movie that if you have knowledge of L.A. buildings, it actually becomes more depressing. <laughs> um, which I didn't know that was possible, but uh, but yeah, and so, you know, uh, it it really utilizes its place. You know, the place that it uh, where it was shot, but also where the action is happening. You know, and uh, and. You know, I, Chinatown is like that. Um, yeah, well, I want to talk about Blade Runner just okay, for a ahead. second more, because um, we're not anyway, we're not doing a, uh, an episode about buildings. We're talking about the city itself, right? Uh, but these buildings are, of course, part of the city's yeah. identity. And I, I just think Blade Runner. There are a lot. There's a lot of obviously a lot of people love the movie, and yeah. there's some criticism against it too. Uh, there's a pretty, I'd say, a pretty solid backlash against Blade yeah. Runner. Um, I mean, 26 years after the fact. But anyway, yeah. uh, I, I've totally gotten off track. I have no idea what the fuck I was saying. <laughs> I think, oh, okay, for someone... I, I've come to reappreciate the movie by living in Los Angeles because it uh, it has the feel of 
of what we as Angelinos kind of fear uh, that our city could become. You yeah. know, it's got it's got the environmental obviously issues with all the acid rain. Yeah. You know, it's got uh overcrowding. Yeah. You know, um and it's it's got just just garish billboards and neon everywhere, you know, which yeah. is definitely that um it's this is mentioned in in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which is also right. in Los Angeles Quiz itself. Um, he mentions the the billboards, you know, <coughs> and I didn't realize until I lived here. Yeah, uh, and now it seems weird to me when I go somewhere else and there aren't bill billboards on every free inch of public space. Yeah, you know, but it's insane. There are billboards everywhere here, and that's that's I think what 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 Blade Runner speaks to uh, very much. It's very much a Los Angeles movie because it resonates. I mean, it's a good movie on its own. I loved it when I was, you know, in high school and I lived in St. Louis. Yeah. But it resonates with uh, Angelinos, I think, in, a, in another another way. Because it builds on reality. Like, it builds on something that's already happening, which is, you know, there's horrible smog. There's, like, it doesn't just come up with some crazy thing that, that, that could happen, but it could happen really to any city. You know, it would mm-hmm. take, like some kind of post-apocalyptic kind of thing. No, this is like, okay, the smog, if allowed to get worse, this is what it would be. The overcrowding, if allowed to get worse, this is what it would be. And those horrible billboards, it's like, well, let's see, how can we, it's like, there's so many of them, how can we call attention to ours? Hey, I know, neon. And uh-huh. then, and so it's like, okay, this, it, I don't know if it's going to happen by 2019 or whenever it takes place, but it's something that you're like, yeah, that could happen. Like, if we're not careful... Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, and we're not, let me, a little tangent, uh, a lot of the billboards that you see in Los Angeles are not like zoned properly or not, they're essentially up illegally. Hmm. Uh, and there's no concerted effort to, to stop that. Hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah. I I mean, there, there's, there, there are rules on the books about where you can put billboards and Hmm. no one pays attention to them because no one enforces them. That's interesting. Okay. So that's. Well, something to keep in mind. I'm now terrified to live here. Thank you. <laughs> um, but uh, well, I live. I thankfully, thank God, I live in North Hollywood, where there's really not many billboards because nobody cares. Nobody cares about <laughs> us. They don't want our business. They don't know what demographic we fall into, uh, except it's one that they don't they don't uh, care about. But um, yeah, and I would say it's a similar. Shoot, I have a transition. But it takes us out of L.A., so I, that's fine. I, I, we were almost I, halfway through the fucking show, so we should that's, probably move okay. on to another movie. Well, I would say the idea of taking modern day concerns and using them as a basis for like the what the future could be. I would say it's similar to Detroit and RoboCop. Oh, that's a good where you know, yeah. and you know, it, there are a few cities like for all the you know the 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 movie Los Angeles plays itself for the thing it ta- it talks about just the the negative treatment that Los Angeles gets but for all of that if i lived in i'd say new york or boston i would be more pissed off i'm not new york i'm sorry detroit or boston i would be more pissed off cuz cuz detroit it's like all right crime where are we going to set this thing oh i know let's go to detroit like every movie that I, that has ever taken place there, well, I can't speak to that, but like a lot of the movies that you know about, like Eight Mile, Eight Mile, uh, uh, Out, of, out sight, of Sight, Narc, yeah, yeah, Narc, you know, and like then True Romance, True Romance, which, yeah. Another uh, just a slight tangent within the subject, though. Uh, Quentin Tarantino, um, 
uh, I, you know, mixed feelings, whatever. But he's a great Los Angeles guy. He gets. I mean, I've only been here three years. He grew up here, you yeah. know. But he uh, really conveys, I think, this city uh, in in a in a, uh, a way that's very close to my experience and the way I, that I view the city. Yeah. Uh, that said, he sets the beginning of True Romance in Detroit, and then shoots a lot of it. That, I mean, the Tony Scott shot a lot of it in Los Angeles. Yeah. You know, uh, the uh, where they where he goes to see the Sonny Chiba tri- triple feature. You mm-hmm. know. Uh, at that old Detroit movie house, that's yeah. that's the Vista on Sunset. <laughs> but uh, <coughs> yeah, and um, okay, so back to Detroit. And Joe Carnahan, you know, shot a lot of Narc in Toronto, you know. Yeah. But like, there's a few key places in Detroit that's like they had like a day or two, and they just shot around Detroit, you know. Um, so yeah, I mean, if I if I lived in Detroit, I'd just be like, hey, um, we make cars and stuff. Uh, and and also we don't all kill each other. How about that? You know, but that is the, you know, and of course RoboCop takes that to the next, the next step. Like there's a reason that this this uh, tale about you know ultra violence and stuff does not it doesn't take place in in like L A or New York or you know any of these other cities because these cities there's other things associated with them as well. Detroit, it's really just uh, just violence and and crime as far as movies go, and so it's the best place for it to take place, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and so it it takes what what film viewers know about it, and it's like, oh, see, it's gotten so bad that we got to employ these this big robot, and yeah. you know, or we have to uh, another movie. <coughs> although the Crow never says it takes place in Detroit, but it's, oh, okay, uh, it's pretty strongly implied, yeah. And so, like, but, and, and I would say it's a similar thing with, with Boston. I mean, like, Boston has become a very definite location in the last few years, like, between Mystic River and The Departed and uh, Gone Baby Gone. Uh-huh. You know, it, it, like, people see it as kind of an interesting uh, setting because everybody there because it's it's viewed as and that's the thing i've I've not been to boston i haven't been to detroit so i'm not speaking from experience i'm speaking solely from how hollywood seems to view these places um and boston just seems to be this hotbed of depression and bitterness and just and kind just white trashiness kind of um and you're just like oh my gosh who would ever want to visit there or live there well then, on the other, but on the other hand, we get uh, we get David E. Kelly's Boston and well, Alan Appeal yeah. and, and Boston Legal and the practice and stuff, which is that's uh, true. Uh, apparently, for a city that far with, with, with that far north of a of a latitude, uh, David E. Kelly's Boston gets a lot of sun and fair weather. <laughs> <laughs> Wonder why that is. <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, so. As far as TV, hey, you got to move to Boston, you know. Yeah. Uh, but as far as movies, you're like. Why would anybody? Why isn't everybody just? Why? Why are? Why is every uh, freeway not packed uh, <laughs> of people leaving the city? Uh, but uh, well, I want to go back. Um, <coughs> yeah, we talked about Los Angeles. Um, I want to talk about places that I've lived. But there's only one of. I mean, there's not a lot of movies about St. Louis. There's really not. You know, I mean, I don't know. Like someone's got to make a movie out of uh, Jonathan Franzen's The Twenty Seventh City because. Hmm. 
that's the St. Louis one anyway. Right. <laughs> um, but there's Chicago, and there's a few Absolutely. movies about Chicago. Yeah. Uh, the one that I have written down, uh, weirdly enough, is The Fugitive. Yeah. Uh, that that gives it, it's. I, I don't know. I mean, I guess I, the Fugitive TV show was more. Um, you know, it followed him around all over the place. Yeah. You know, and yeah. it was more, I think, had a lot more rural type of stuff because he was, like, hiding out, you know, right. and, like, you know, had to hitchhike or whatever, you know. And so uh, the Fugitive movie, though, is very urban. Yeah. And it has so much great Chicago stuff. And it's it's the exact opposite of Your Friends and Neighbors. Yeah. Where it's so specific. It makes a point of being specific about its locations. Yeah. You know, it gives street names. It, it's, it's got, it, it references the L, you yeah. know, and... And he goes to the the St. Patrick's Day parade, right. which is, uh, yeah, that's if you if you lived if you've been in Chicago on the St. Patrick's Day parade, good God, stay away from downtown. It's full <laughs> of drunk people. And I was on the L. <coughs> actually, this is the subway part downtown when it goes uh, when it goes underground, and a guy got out and stood while the train is moving through the tunnel in the place in between the two cars oh. and puked. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> into the tunnel while the train was moving, moving, and that was at like ten o'clock in the morning on St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> you know, and they, you know, they make reference. That's the thing is, it it's a, it's a a film that like it's not necessarily about Chicago, but it's 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 hard to explain because the story is so woven into it that it's just people. It's people who are casual about where they are. Be- implying that they've lived here their whole lives, you know, uh-huh. or most of their lives. And just like, you know, so they'll just say random things. Like, it'll just work its way into random conversation. Like, hey, if they can uh, dye this river green one day of the year, why can't they dye it blue every other day of the year? <laughs> just little things like that where it's it it could have taken place in New York, you know. Yeah. I mean, but it and takes if it place had, in it would Chicago. have plenty of New York references. Right. And, but it, it takes place in Chicago, but it's not about the fact that it's in Chicago. But it, it just the city does play a role you know um like the just all the landmarks and the parade and all that kind of thing it's it's hard to explain where the like it just it fe- it's a lived in kind of movie it's a lived in type feel where rather than just constantly make reference to the fact like oh look where we are well you know how it is chicago you know um but also <laughs> sure little, is windy here yeah, in chicago yeah. but uh and i'd say like another thing and and in some cases, they do take things that everybody kind of already knows, and like for example, that like the federal the 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 U.S. Marshals they're all terrified at the notion of the Chicago the Chicago Police Department getting involved <laughs> because they just know like uh oh they're gonna they're gonna shoot first and maybe ask questions at some point <laughs> and uh, and so it's little things like that where you're like all right they don't make reference to it but you just see the way they carry themselves and the way they address the their location that it's just i don't know it just it feels so authentic you know and but as far as movies like about chicago here's a here's one that i'm mentioning solely because not solely because it does apply to what we're talking about but uh my wife loves this movie it is not good but adventures and babysitting takes place in chicago and there's no question about it i mean it's it's about it's like a celebration of chicago that movie other than ferris bueller's day off how did i know that that's perfect and blues brothers and you know blues brothers is another great one yeah but like adventures and babysitting especially because everything that makes chicago like interesting and sets it apart 
happens to uh, to this babysitter and her kid and and these kids. Like she, they accidentally stumble into a blues club. Granted, <laughs> it's the worst blues you've ever heard, especially once she starts singing. So it's George Thurgood. <laughs> not not far from it. Um, but is he even blues? I, I guess he thinks he is. <coughs> I don't. That's a tangent for another day, David. No, George well, Thurgood. Just real quick. There's music like you know what if you listen to if you listen to the Grateful Dead or Fish or any of that like jam band stuff yeah I don't like it at all but I get it yeah like I understand what you like about it I, I have that kind of perspective and empathy you know yeah who who is listening to George Thorogood <laughs> who is buying these records who who has such a narrow a narrow exposure to what music is that they think <laughs> that this is good and. And how is that, like, how did you even come about, how did you even come by George Thorogood? Is it just, like, seeing him in, like, hearing his music on, like, television show soundtracks? Or, like, how do you not know that there's so much better music out there? You don't have to look that far to get better blues than George Thorogood? I, I feel like maybe what he is is he is a, he's a transition. Like, if you're into rock, and then you, and but you're starting to think, like, but you're like, you know, I, I want to test out the, this blues. You get you go to him because he's kind of in the middle, and then you move on to blues. You know he's a nice he's a ni- nicely in between. And then you but if you're yeah. into blues and you want to get into rock, you go from blues to him, and then you move on to rock. You Seems know, like you could take the uh, maybe maybe you take the scenic route through John Mellencamp and Stevie Ray, Ray Vaughan. Okay, fair so enough. That, that's what I would suggest. Fair and enough. I'm not a huge John Mellencamp fan, but oh my god, is he much so much better than George <laughs> Thurgood. Um, but, uh, right, okay. Sorry. Yeah. Music month is over, David. All right. Enough. But talk about I need, locations, but I don't see, I don't have enough music knowledge to do a music podcast, Yeah. but I feel strongly enough about it that I want to talk about it on our podcast. Fair enough. Fair enough. So goodbye listeners. Um, <laughs> it was a lot of fun. We'll catch you next week, I guess. Um, even if I want, don't want to show up. Um, but, uh, but yeah. And then like, there's a point. In uh, adventures and babysitting, where they wind up hanging from, I never remember the name of the building, but uh, you know the building with the slant and the Hancock. The, no, 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 no. The uh, not that slant. I'm sorry, the one that looks like a building that has been cut in half oh, at a diagonal. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and I don't, I never remember the name of the building, but it's one that's just like, it. oh, that is that's Chicago. That's it's become part of the uh, the skyline, and uh, and at one point, like they're they're hanging off that building on a rope, and it's like, wow, they're really. They're really celebrating Chicago, and I'd say Ferris Bueller with the, you know, with the Art Institute and the parade, and you know, just doing all these very Chicago things. Yeah. They're kind of doing the same thing, and I'd say especially Blues Brothers. Like that is a city. I mean, there's the Fugitive and stuff like that, but that's a city that people just feel the need to celebrate a lot and yeah. really make reference the, to it in in film. Maybe the it blue, comes. The Blues from, Brothers points out something that um, Adventures of Babysitting and and Ferris Bueller's Day Off misses, which is the fact that that black, black people live in Chicago. Uh, right now, yes. it still, you know, gives you two white guys pretending that they're uh, <laughs> that they're black to be your entry point. But uh, you got to take what you can get, you know. Which reminds me of a, a family thing is a great. Movie oh yeah, part of it takes place in Chicago. Absolutely, yeah. It's uh, yeah. That's a movie just in general that people should watch. It's written, and I forget if it's directed. I think it is written and directed by Billy Bob Thornton, and it stars Robert Duvall and James Earl Jones in a performance. I, both Robert Duvall and James Earl Jones are great, but like James Earl Jones, he's known pretty much as the voice of Darth Vader, and you know you may have seen him in the Great White Hope and Field of Dreams. Field of Dreams, you know, but like 
He's a solid actor. He just isn't really given the opportunity to act very often. And he's great in a family thing. And that's one where, you know, it's very much kind of a good section of it feels like kind of a fish out of water uh, film where Robert Duvall, this southern fried guy, goes into Chicago for the first time. And he's met with, like, disdain. And he's kind of, you know, and he's attacked, like, the first time out because he's admittedly he's antagonizing somebody else. Yeah. And uh but then after a while it kind of settles in and you see a different side of Chicago, you know, um where it really does kind of feel like just a really big small town. But uh yeah, uh I lived in Denver for a while uh and I saw things to do in Denver when you're dead. Yeah. Which does not aside from the title, it doesn't really play up a lot of uh oh. a lot of stuff in Denver, but the set the the few sections in uh about Schmidt that take place in Denver, uh, I'd say pretty much get it right. Where like, upon meeting the upon meeting these people for the first time, the first thing everybody talks about is the traffic, because <laughs> that's what Denver has. It has traffic. Uh, I don't know if it does anymore, but uh, <laughs> the whole city went through like a uh, like a ten year long construction project that shut down highways and stuff like that. Oh, we're getting a call. We're getting a call. Anyway. Um, but uh, I wonder if I should go and hang that up. David, okay. you keep yeah, talking. Yeah, I'll talk for a second. Um, so those are the only cities that I've lived in, really, you know, Los Angeles, St. Louis, Chicago. But um, uh, I've been to a couple cities, and I wanted, uh, you know, I, I've been to other cities. I was, I was, maybe it's because I didn't spend very long there, mm-hmm. but I couldn't think of any good London movies. Like, maybe A Hard Day's Night, but that's kind of a stretch, I think. Um. Well, I think the... Uh I think these days London like any any London movie that's made like that's modern day or maybe even not so much maybe even like like a period piece like a Dickens uh, adaptation yeah. or something it's all about how London kind of sucks like it's just kind of grimy and gross and like uh but you know like you I'm know sorry. the Guy Ritchie Guy Ritchie films yeah. and like you know now that I say I don't know why this didn't occur to me before there there are plenty of there are plenty of movies about um the sort of immigrant experience in London. Dirty Pretty Things is a great one. Why did I not think of this before? Yeah, Dirty I never Pretty saw Things. It. Um, East is East, which is not very good, but it uh, has it's about you know Pakistanis. Um, Bend it like Beckham. Mm-hmm. Uh, My beautiful laundrette, which if you haven't seen, if any any people haven't seen, go fucking see it. It's so great. Okay. Um, yeah. So uh, Dirty Pretty Things is perfect. But but uh, but again, that's not. <coughs> I was there as a tourist, you know. That's not the yeah. London that I know. I know, I know the London from Wayne's World too. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's my idea of London, because I was there as a tourist. But um, to move on, actually, another, I have, I've also been to Paris, and again, yeah. I don't know it very well. You know, uh, uh, I don't know if I didn't see Paris Chatem, but I don't know if that, that would speak to me because I don't know it very well. But I know that Amelie speaks to my experience oh, yeah. of Paris because Amelie is a touristy movie of Paris. Uh, I would, yeah, I'd say so. Um, and I, I've not been to Paris, but I did see Paris Tim and um, I should have said Paris because I said like Paris, like yeah. like an American, and then I said Jatem, yeah, like well, like an American. You should have said <laughs> Paris Jatem, Paris Gtem, Gtem. Um, but uh, and that one, I think, I think it would, uh, I think because there's so many stories in it, I think uh, you would probably find one or two that really kind of hit you. As a tourist, because there are like you know uh, a couple, uh, a couple films told from the perspective of a tourist. Most notably, the one by Alexander Payne, featuring 
uh, Margot Martindale, and that one is amazing. It's really great. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's a movie that made me want to see Paris. You know, I, not that I didn't want to see it before. It's like I was on the fence until this movie. <laughs> um, no, of course I always wanted to see Paris, but. Uh, but yeah, it's it's one that really some of the some of the short films you can tell like oh this person, you know, is so familiar with Paris that they're just going to uh, just tell this story that happens to take place here, and and perhaps one that maybe couldn't have taken place somewhere else. Just it has this this very French type tone where it's like everyone is maybe a little more romantic than than they normally would be, you know, just. Not maybe not the tone of the actual city, but how people view it, you know, is oh, it's the place of romance, you know, yeah, and snootiness, you know, but um, but uh, Amelie, Amelie and um, and Moulin Rouge came out about the same time, and oh, they yeah. both uh, sort of furthered the romantic romanticization of Montmartre, the uh, the little neighborhood on a hill in mm-hmm. Paris, uh, which I went to, and um, I think. At this point, we're we're all a little late. We 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 missed it because now that neighborhood is aware of its, oh. uh, you know, and it's basically just it's basically just for tourists now. That's unfortunate. I'm sure there's some other great neighborhood in Paris happening right now that we'll hear about in in ten years. Well, I've heard good things about this Eiffel Tower. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> sorry, that's all I had. Um, yeah, and but I feel like there's also. To, to bring it back to America, David, so, you know, let's not go across the pond so often. Um, oh, okay. No, I'm did you... start scratching stuff off. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, Bunch of European cities on here. But, uh, well, you can you, you can stick with them if you want. I'll get back to my thing, because, uh, you know, like... In fact, yeah, let's, let's, let's stick with Europe. Like, there is... Like, I, I didn't really know much about Venice, and then I saw Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade, uh-huh. and... And it's shot gorgeous, you know, gorgeously. And and Indiana Jones, he makes mention of it constantly. He keeps going like, ah, Venice. And I'm like, guess I better go to Venice. Yeah, Talented Mr. Ripley is another oh, great yeah. like, travelogue yeah. Venice movie. I've been to Venice. I should have thought of that. Um, but um, I don't know, Venice is fun. I actually feel like I, even though I spent less time there than I did in London or Paris, I felt like I got to know it a little a little better because I spent more time by myself, not doing the touristy stuff and just sort of walking around. That sounds cool. It's very easy to get lost there because it's. I mean, I'm I'm sure there are like normal parts of Venice, but like the the old part that you think of has the canals, and then it just has a whole bunch of alleys connecting the rest of the city, and it. Uh, I definitely got lost for a few hours at one point. But it Did was you fun. ever ride on a, on a gondola or a gondola? I never know how you're supposed to uh, say. It. No, it's because it's too expensive. Oh, uh, okay. I took like a the like water bus. They essentially have like a bus. That, oh, okay. Uh, you know, I did that, but anyway. So I don't have any Venice movies here. But I wanted to talk about movies like movies that give me that have such a uh, a picture of their cities that mm-hmm. it makes me feel like I've been there when I haven't. Okay, you know. Um, one of those is the, is the White Balloon, which is an Iranian film, which is okay. about, uh, it, you know, essentially, um, it's it's about um, a family living in Tehran that's that's poor, but it's not about them being poor. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, it's it's essentially a children's movie. There are all sorts of a lot of the Iranian films that that came out in like the nineties, um, and probably still the Iranian films are about children because the the uh the sort of laws there against depicting any sort of adult situation as 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 HBO would term it <laughs> you mm-hmm. know adult situations um like th- there's 
it's so hard to do anything emotional with adults and get away with it there hmm. that a lot of Iranian films end up being about children. So That's like interesting. The, the White Balloon and uh, A Time for Drunken Horses. Um, and uh, I, there's a billion of them that I'm uh, the uh, what's the one? The Color of Paradise, I think it's called. But uh, anyway, these are all fantastic movies about children. Um, so that's Tehran. Um, it, you know, you get to, it, it. It has a feel for the streets, you know, and uh, uh, and it it takes you along sort of the alleyways and, and streets uh, and and stuff like that. Another one that's another sort of roman- <laughs> this is a totally different cut to come. Did you want to come back to America? Yes, I do. Because I wanted to talk about a movie that I hate. Okay. Uh, now I've never been to Savannah. Okay. But I've seen Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. Evil. Okay. Uh, which is so boisterously about savannah like it it it, it, that film seems like it's really yearning to be this type of movie you know Mm -hmm. it wants to it wants to make you love savannah you know the way that the way that talented mr ripley wanted to make you love love venice right it just didn't happen to have a good movie propelling it along the way talented mr ripley Uh. did You've well, seen Midnight in the Garden of Good, Good and Evil? I have. It's been a long time. I haven't seen it uh, for probably, what was it? It's like 10 years old now. So yeah. I, I haven't seen it for 10 years. Me either. But I, I have. And this was at a time when my taste wasn't even fully formed yet, and I could tell how terrible it was. Yeah. This and was at a time when I, when I was still, like, uh, forgiving of Independence Day. Yeah. Uh, maybe I wasn't that stupid. But anyway. Yeah. Um, Did I ever tell you that about Independence Day? Well, I went to see it. Uh, no. What, go, go ahead. Um. I went to see it. Uh, I guess I was thirteen when it came out. Okay. Um, and I, my friend Eric, called me, and he had he had a girlfriend. This is okay. Thirteen year old, you know. Yeah. Girlfriend Jennifer, and uh, he was such a nervous little nerdy fuck that he was like. Uh, he was like, "Come with us to the movie. I don't want to sit in the dark alone with her." He was just like scared <laughs> to be alone with a girl. Okay. All right. So I'm like, well, I, you know, I, I'm 13. I can't, I can't afford that. Go to a movie right now. So he was <laughs> like, he was like, no, I'll pay for you. So I, uh, my mom like drops me off at the theater or something, and I get there, and Eric's got like a bag full of dimes and nickels, <laughs> and so he buys my ticket <laughs> with all change, and then we get into the movie into the theater, and he he's like, you have to sit between us. I can't sit next to her. <laughs> this is how nervous he was around girls. Um. <coughs> And uh, the high point of that is, of course, when the uh, like uh, alien autopsy thing happens, and yeah, the guy yeah. cuts it open, and it like tsh, you know springs over this big like jump scare moment. Yeah. And Jennifer clung on to me instead of onto Eric because I was sitting next to her. So did you wind up just swooping in and taking this uh, taking this girl, and she was? Uh... No, I'm a, I'm a better friend than that. Oh, okay, all right. Sounds to me like Eric was just handing her to you, <laughs> but you know that's just me. Um, anyway, so back to back to the topic. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, there well, that's are. That's a good story. That was worth diverting. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> it's yeah. Do you st- do you still talk to Eric? No. Oh, that's unfortunate. Um, Nor Jennifer. Oh, see, that's even more unfortunate. I would say. Um, <laughs> even I don't know what I mean by that. Um, but uh, now I'm trying to think of like movies that, like The Lookout, takes place in Kansas City, and it yeah. doesn't have anything really to do with Kansas City. But I'll say this, like. There are a lot of there are a lot of like midwestern cities that you know like Tulsa, you know like Kansas City, like I'd say Denver that just that people don't really that it, it, they're not depicted very often, you know, and 
a, a movie like The Lookout, you know, the events, I, I do like it when, when the events of a movie really couldn't happen anywhere else. I mean, I guess that could happen in, like, a really big, huge metro- metropolitan area. Not to imply that Kansas City isn't a big city, but it's a big Midwestern city. And so, like, you know, movies like that or, like, A Simple Plan, which takes place in a small town, uh-huh. but, like, they're just... And I'd say even Fargo, you know, it's just, it's, it's stories that it, it made me wonder, like, how come more film noir didn't take place in cities like this, where it's just people who, yeah, they're not, they're not dying of starvation, but they're not, they're just kind of in the middle. Nobody knows about them. They're never going to be famous. They're never going to live in a great house. They're just going to kind of live in, in a whatever house, you know, they're not going to get to eat out every night. I mean, they're just, and, and. They, it seems to be tied very much to where they live, you know. Um, yeah. It's that kind of Midwestern, lower middle class that, like, that enables a story like A Simple Plan and Fargo and uh, and The Lookout to happen. You well, know, look, I'd I mean, say it's, the, it's linked very much to where it takes place. Yeah, The Lookout is, uh, even more specific than just being that size city, it's a, it's a great Midwest movie. It's, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm from Missouri, so that's, yeah. there's not a lot of St. Louis movies. There's that one part of Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, but that takes place mostly at the airport, right? Uh, which is not a part of the airport of any city is not a part of the city, right? Uh, <laughs> airports, it's like there's one big other country just called <laughs> the airport, and it exists all over the world. You it's know? like a, it's like a, it's like an embassy. <laughs> yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, the lookout is uh, <coughs> has a great feel for for the Midwest and like yeah. the that sort of weird uh, divide that that happens so abruptly in, in in Midwestern cities, where you go from the sort of uh, these industrial age, gritty urban areas yeah. to farmland, just like that. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's like it's, if you're driving, it, if you're in the middle of a city, drive for about twenty five minutes, and you'll be out in the middle of seemingly nowhere. Yeah, it's not like a like a Chicago or or, or whatever where you have to go through like. Uh, you know, you get your suburbs, and then you get your your exurbs, and then right. you, like it just like you it eases you into the farmland. Right. Like in in these type of Omaha's like this again. Uh, yeah. You know, I mentioned Omaha before. Omaha, St. Louis, Kansas City, uh, the the farmland and just the rural areas grow right up against the old buildings, especially and in some cases, literally in Kansas City, there are large parts of uh, you know that old industrial and warehouse. Uh, uh, culture and and world that are that have been left fallow and the rural areas have sort of started to overtake them they're hmm. like you know what used to be parking lots are now fields you know yeah uh, uh, leading up to these big decrepit m- buildings with all their windows broken uh kansas city is a very uh, uh cinematic town i think yeah it's i mean it does kind of bum me out that uh that more stories more interesting stories you know like these like these you know little thrillers and stuff it's like they should take place in like cleveland or you know or wichita or something like that where you know where because a lot of people that live in big cities probably think of these towns as kind of like maybe hick towns or if anything idyllic you know it's just like ah people have it easier out there you know they don't have to fight for scraps or anything but it's like you know people struggle in these places just as much and because yeah. it seems idyllic, uh, idyllic, uh, you know that makes these stories so much more fascinating. That's what makes the brutality of Fargo so much more unsettling. Yeah. You know, but you know what? Uh, I mean, I have 
uh, I, I love Fargo as a movie. I don't know. I've never been to that area. I don't know. I mean, it seems like kind of a caricature type of thing. Isn't. <laughs> uh, okay. I can speak to that. But uh, anyway, I want to talk about – you talk about the, these cities be, being considered – thought of as being idyllic, which mm-hmm. is so far from the truth. Y- yes. Uh, yes. They might be small, and the people might be a little more, uh, you know, I don't know, earthy. Folksy? Folksy, yeah. Okay. But these are – Especially, especially, especially the cities that I'm talking about—St. Louis and Kansas City and, yeah. and Omaha. Uh, you know, these are cities that were on the verge of in the industrial age. You know, and have since fallen. You know, yeah. these these are. I mean, these. That's why the the crime rate in St. Louis is is astronomical all, mm-hmm. all the time. It's always in one of the top five most violent cities in the in the country because uh, it, it it was it was it was a, a boomtown. At a time, and it's and it's fallen apart, and 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 so so much of the Midwest is is just like pockmarked with cities like that. Yeah, and the the idea that they're that they're fucking Mayberry is just insulting to me. You know, it's uh, they're it, they're they're as dangerous as the most dangerous parts of the big cities, and they're you know not not that that's something to be proud of, but it's just uh, I just don't like the summing up of the city. Uh, especially one of my cities, yeah. uh, in in one word like idyllic, especially where they gets it so fucking wrong, right? And just and also like and even like really small towns because I've lived in a few. Like listeners know that several months ago I traveled back to Taft, California, my my uh, birthplace, and it's a town of nine thousand people. It's uh-huh. a small town, and what fascinated me. So how many uh, do you think? How long until the mayor of that town is ready to be vice president? <laughs> You know what? Freaking elect him now. That's <laughs> that's what I say because that's a tough town to uh, keep track of, and here's why. Um, there's a there's a bad part of town. It's nine thousand people. Yeah, and there's a there's a part of town, and there's a good part of town, like up in the hills, literally overlooking this small town. Because I had taken uh, like a wrong turn, and it's a small town, so I don't know how I took a wrong turn, but we wound up up on this hill with like. Man, I, I would say mansions, just very large houses, and you're like, and like gated communities. I'm like, what the hell? How? Do, I didn't know this place was here. And then the next day, Jen and I were driving along, and we took a wrong turn that took us to like these tiny little like one bedroom houses that it's mm. just with no front yard, just dirt for a front yard, and just sand, yeah. and just like, and like cars in the front, you know, in the front yard that aren't running, and just like. Wow! In this town of nine thousand, there are incredibly rich people and insanely poor people, and just like, and to me, like, and there's probably you know there's towns like that all over the, you know, all over the country. I mean, that's it, the thing; they're all like that. Yeah, in some way, every town and every city has the same. You know, if if there's one thing, because we should start wrapping up okay. uh, at right about an hour. So, um, uh, I guess my sort of final thought in the in okay. Jerry Springer mode here is that is one thing that movies can teach us uh is well, you should watch first you should watch multiple movies about any city right uh and movies can teach us that every city has more than one face you know right it's it's like it, you know it's like all the uh <coughs> it's like if you had a, a painting of of an intersection or a picture of an intersection but it was only taken from one corner you know right. you're only you're only seeing it from one view and 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 you could stand you know you could literally see an intersection in a movie and then go to that place and stand on the opposite corner and not recognize it at all. Which happened to me uh, at an intersection near my house that 
plays uh, a very large part in the film Magnolia. Oh, and sure. I drive through that intersection constantly, but I never drove through it at the angle uh, that uh, that Paul Thomas Anderson viewed it from. And once it, I did, I was like, oh, this is that place. Yeah. You know? it, that, that's the perfect uh, like analogy for for what movies can do for a city. You can't assume that you know or understand a city. And this brings it back to Los Angeles because so many people who haven't been here or have only just visited here think they get it, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's. As much, I love the Decemberists, and they have that song "Los Angeles, I'm Yours," which is a great song. Yeah. But it's such a shallow, you know, West Side only mm. uh, idea of what this city is. And uh, so, this l- let this episode be a warning to you, listeners: don't do that for any city. Yeah. You have to. If you can't, <coughs> if you can't go there, then uh, watch multiple movies from multiple points of view made by natives. Yeah. You know. Uh, the cities and the places that we live are are important to us. They're, cities are nature for people, you know. Um, I think I'm, I'm paraphrasing somebody, and I can't remember who. Um, Shit. I don't know. But, uh, but, uh, but, and I think what you say is, you know, what you're saying is important because it's interesting. We went through an entire episode. Did not mention New York. But, uh, I know, and I wrote down the French Connection and, and, but that, and Do the Right Thing. But, but that's the thing. Like, there's plenty of movies... You know, pretty much every Woody Allen film uh, that's that talks about oh how wonderful New York is and how oh it's so nice and autumnal. It's like okay, that's that's one guy's view. Granted, he's you know in every movie he makes that that uh, you know he voices that opinion, but like you know temper it a little bit. Watch that and then watch Do the Right Thing, then watch Quick Change, then watch The French Connection, and like between those you'll get more of a picture. And then like something like. L.A., I mean, you can watch, you know, I, most of them, most movies about L.A. are pretty negative. In fact, I can't yeah. think of a positive one. Can you? A positive movie about Los Angeles? Yeah. I don't know. You know, um, which is one of the reasons that I'm bummed out that this movie, Los Angeles Plays Itself, does not really go around that much. Not many people can see it. Yeah. But if you do get the opportunity, watch it, and it'll it'll voice what we've been saying in a much in a much more intelligent way. Way an academic way and an ac- thank you because we're right very word. conversational on this show. We are insanely conversational, and this this movie is not. It's the way it's the way information should be, which is uh, hard to digest. Um, <laughs> that's not true at all. Uh, <laughs> we're speaking to one person, and I don't even know if he's listening. But uh, but yeah, so watch that movie because you'll it really gets you to look at Los Angeles a different way, and and that's how you should look at at every. You know, at every location in film, and I personally wish that more movies took place in something like Taft, California, or you know, Nixon, Missouri, or one of any any number, any like thou- any number of the hundreds of thousands of little towns where real people live. You know, and they've got a story to tell just like anybody else. That's one of the reasons that I'm fascinated with with movies like that. But you know, movies about that. Yeah, so. I'm I'm always fascinated with. With cities, and I would—I I already talked about that last week when we talked about your friends and neighbors. So I'm going to it again. But uh, so, uh, all right, yeah. Um, what do we have to, what do we have to plug? Uh, let's see the website. The website. Uh, you can hear us in a few days on uh, Pilar Alessandra's podcast on the page. You can go to iTunes for that. Um, nothing really. Nothing else really. Just go to the website battleshippretension.com. I you promise can, I'll start blogging again. Soon. He's going to start blogging where we recommend movies and all that. And, uh, yeah, you can email us at uh, battleshippretension at hotmail.com. And uh, that's it. We'll talk to you later.
Bye. Bye.